Hello, this is Archbishop William Laurie of Baltimore, and you are listening to Catholic Baltimore on Talk Radio 680 WCBM. Catholic Baltimore is a weekly radio program hosted by the Archdiocese of Baltimore, airing each Sunday following the broadcast of the Radio Mass of Baltimore. We are grateful to our Catholic radio partners for sharing with us some of the content in this program and for the opportunity to bring quality Catholic programming to the Archdiocese of Baltimore every Sunday. Welcome to Catholic Baltimore. I'm George Matisek, Digital Editor for the Archdiocese of Baltimore. In prisons throughout the Archdiocese, Catholic priests, deacons, sisters, brothers, and lay volunteers bring a message of hope to men and women whose lives can sometimes seem hopeless. Today on Catholic Baltimore, we learn about how prison ministry makes a difference in the lives of those prisoners. Later on, we will speak with Deacon Siegfried Pressberry, a former Maryland State Correctional Officer who now serves as Director of Prison Ministry for the Archdiocese. But first, we meet Father Charles Chuck Quinterna, a priest of the Archdiocese who has served for more than three decades as a prison chaplain for the Maryland State Penitentiary in downtown Baltimore. Father Chuck has ministered to some of the toughest criminals in the state, including those on death row. He was present at the last five Maryland executions, offering spiritual support to death row inmates of all faiths. We spoke with Father Chuck at St. Vincent de Paul in Baltimore, where he resides. Father Chuck, thanks for being here on Catholic Baltimore. Oh, I'm glad to be here. Can you describe how you got started in prison ministry? Uh, I was doing street ministry at St. Vincent de Paul Church in in uh, 1975, I was a person who was in the seminary in the 1960s and fell very much in with the culture of that time. Uh, there was a lot of activity with the poor, with the inner city. I could see that Jesus very much had a very special place in his heart for the poor. So I wanted to work with the poor, the homeless, the prisoners. Baltimore allowed me to do, the, uh, do this type of ministry. I had been with Pittsburgh for a few years, but they were not open to, to this type of ministry at that time. So Cardinal Sheehan and Bishop Gosman allowed me to, to do street ministry. I started in uh, South Baltimore in 1974 and went to St. Vincent's in 1975, and I worked in the projects, Lafayette projects and flag projects. And while there, I had been going to prison a lot because working with the poor and working with the homeless, there is a uh, need to visit men in prison because you'll see them on the street one day and they'll be in the prison the next day. I was asked by one of the officials, one of the chaplains, Meyer Toby, uh, in 1980, if I would come on board as a volunteer chaplain at the prison because I was coming over so much. And he was the Catholic chaplain at the time. He was a Jesuit. So I went as a volunteer prison to help him in 1980. And by 1982, he was getting ready to retire, and I took over for, uh, for him. Mm-hmm. And Archbishop Borders assigned me as a full-time prison chaplain at the city jail in 1982. Mm-hmm. And in 1983, I was assigned to the Maryland State Penitentiary, and I've been there ever since. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Do you remember what it was like, your first visit to a prisoner? Well, the first time I entered a prison, it was like the movies. It was at the Maryland State Penitentiary. I walked in, and you see these five tiers of cells, and all these men are out hollering and screaming. It just struck me that this is just like the movies. And I walked with, with the priest. 
through uh, South Wing and through A, uh, it, it's called the A part of the prison. So I'm going through the prison and there was a lot of noise. Your stomach feels a little anxiety. You have like fear and, and, and doubt when you walk in. It was at that moment that I just felt God's presence and I felt the Lord saying that he would help me. And in my mind, I said, dear God, if you want me to do this prison ministry, then you're going to have to protect me and help me. And I walk with confidence. And even though I was fearful inside, I walked in faith. And it made a big difference because the men uh, had a respect and a love because they could see that I really wasn't afraid. Mm -hmm. Because fear in this environment will not help. Mm -hmm. It will only hurt you. In walking with faith that day, it really changed everything. And it was really a mindset. It was a change of heart. It was a change of, the, of, of my spirit. How do you minister to someone who's in prison? Well, uh, I visit the cells, and then sometimes if someone wants personal attention, then there is a place, of a visiting booth, a visiting area in which I can meet with him privately. But normally I just go to the, to the tiers and to the uh, cells and just talk to the men. But we always start off with a prayer, and I always have the Bible, and it's very, very important to know that it's the presence of Christ that I want to bring. And then you listen, you share the word, and you love, and you try to be just like Jesus would be. And you've worked on death row as well? Yes, and death row. How, how many years have you been? Uh, I was with death row when they first started doing the executions in the early 90s until the last one, which was about 2005, 2006. So over that 13, 14, 15 years, I was the uh, chaplain in charge of executions. Mm -hmm. You mentioned that 2005 was the last one, and mm -hmm. that was Wesley Baker. Yes. And you had a very close relationship with him toward yes. the end of his life. Could you describe how he first reached out to you and how you started? Well, Wesley Baker was a, a, a very, very muscular man, and uh, the prisoners respected him. He was a manly man. But he was on death row for almost 20 years. Whenever I would go visit uh, death row, uh, he would always be in the background. There might be seven or eight prisoners I'm talking to in death row at, at one time down in that area, but he'd always be in the background. And this went on for years and years and years. There was a call from one of the officers saying that Wesley Baker wanted to, to see me. This is the beginning of 2005. And he said, Father Chuck, I have really tried to avoid you because I knew that if I'd have to deal with you, I'd have to deal with God. I've been putting it off and putting it off, and I've been doing, I'm going the legal route. Now I'm putting the legal papers and my legal uh, uh, work in the back burner. Now I want to deal with Jesus Christ, and I, deal, I want to deal with God. He had six weeks from the time the judge gave the writ of execution until the actual execution. He had had, I think, one or two different uh, times in which he was able to get a stay of his execution. But this last time that he was talking to me, he must have sensed that it was up because we talked for six weeks, morning, noon, and night. We would talk about his life. He had come from the projects. I had just spoken earlier about working uh, on the street around St. Vincent's. Well, he was born and raised at St. Vin at, in these projects. Hmm. 
it was really a, a, a personal uh, ministry that correlated between the parish, the parish ministry at St. Vincent's and working on the street and in the projects and then in prison itself. We became very close because he, uh, he really wanted to grow and we shared the word and shared the, uh, the gospel. But the climax came about four or five days, a little less than a week before he was to be executed. Cardinal Keeler, in the midst of tremendous opposition of people being outside, they were all protesting against the death penalty, Cardinal Keeler came into the prison to visit with Wesley Baker. And it was Wesley, myself, and Cardinal Keeler. The Cardinal came in, opened up the Bible, and read John 6. And you have to remember now, it's been almost six weeks of prayer, of testimony, of him opening his life, of him wanting to get close to God. And the Cardinal just hit the nail on the head by reading certain parts of John 6 about eternal life and what you need for eternal life. And at the end of, Car- of the Cardinal reading from John 6, Wesley looks at, the, looks at the Cardinal and says, I want that. And the Cardinal looks at me and says, okay, Father Chuck, you take care of it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm thinking, holy cats, I mean, this guy's not even Catholic. So I come in the next day, and Wesley says, well, where is it? You know, and I said, well, well, wait a minute. You haven't even gone to confession. What, I've talked, I said, you haven't gone to confession, Wesley. You've got to begin. He says, confession? I just talked to you for six weeks about my life. I told you about everything. That's not a confession? I said, oh, yeah, it is. It is. So, and, and when he says, where is it, he was referring to the Eucharist? Yes, is that right? the Eucharist. Could you remind our listeners what John 6 says? Well, it says, if you wish to have eternal life, you must have the bread of life. And the bread of life is Jesus Christ, and you must receive it. If you have the bread of life, it brings you eternal life. And without the bread of life, which is Jesus Christ, you cannot have eternal life. I'm just paraphrasing that. Mm-hmm. Was he received into the church? Mm-hmm. Yes. After much prayer on my part and listening to him, he was uh, received into the church two days before he was uh, to be executed. And the day before execution, I gave him communion mm-hmm. for the first time. At the execution itself, uh, I have 17 seconds to pray with a man. There's three cocktails, there's three drugs that go, that, uh, that go into a person. And I have 17 seconds to uh, pray with him. And we were praying, and it was a very beautiful prayer. He gave his life to the Lord in a very special way, and he said, Father, into your hands I, I, I give myself. And it was a beautiful, beautiful moment. And I thank the Cardinal very much because he really opened the door. Wesley Baker was convicted of murder. Yes. And a lot of people would say that that's a serious, heinous mm-hmm. crime. And, mm-hmm. and you've, you've met people who have committed all kinds of very serious things. Uh, what would you say to people who would say, just lock them up, throw away the key, that we shouldn't have anything to do with that? Well, every, every saint has a past, and every sinner has a future. And the whole purpose of the church is to help sinners have a future. And Jesus Christ very much uh, would forgive those who, who did heinous crimes. Uh, if you look through Scripture, Jesus very much forgave. You look at the tax collector, and he was open to the Roman soldiers. He was open to, to Gentiles. We don't know what's in a person's heart. What we do know is that we need to share Jesus Christ with people. 
and let the results be from God. And that's what I have found in prison. I have found that most prisoners aren't any different than you or I. They want, it, they want love. They want to be loved. They're sinners, like all of us, and need forgiveness. But if you really share the Lord, it's the Lord who touches a person. I can't do anything. Like Mother Teresa always says, I am a pencil in the hand of God. And we are. God does it. He just needs us to have the courage to go out there and do it. So with Wesley Baker, he certainly was a, a man who was searching for God. And he was very, very sorry. And uh, he died very peacefully. And I can say that it was a beautiful experience. And I, I thank the church and I thank the Lord himself for opening up uh, Wesley's life. Uh, as far as uh, the crime, there's no doubt that it was horrible. And uh, there's no doubt that he deserved punishment, and he recognized that. There's also no doubt that God forgives, even murderers. Look at St. Paul, St. Paul himself. He said, I'm the worst of all sinners because of what I did, you know. And yeah, I, I think the need for justice doesn't preclude the possibility of redemption. Mm-hmm. A, a lot of people might miss that, that there might still, you might still have to pay for your crime, but that doesn't mean you're excluded from God's love. Right. Do you find redemption a lot in the prison? Oh, yeah. I see a lot of redemption, but I wouldn't let the guys back out in the street. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are a lot of men I've worked with who are murderers and rapists and very violent criminals, uh, especially at the Supermax. I would say that they have changed their lives, but I wouldn't let them back out in the street. They, they should serve the rest of their life or, um, or their sentence in prison, mm-hmm. whether it's a life sentence or, or a long sentence, because... Uh, there is a forgiveness that is needed spiritually, but there's also a forgiveness that's needed temporarily. temporarily. And there's a punishment that is uh, spiritual and a punishment that is temporal. How has your life changed from meeting these people in prison? Well, it has helped me to become closer to the Lord, to always be on guard like Ephesians 6, having the helmet and, and the sword. You, you have to always be ready and, and faithful. The Bible, Scripture, and the Rosary has been very important to me. Uh, Jesus and Mary are very important. When I was on the street, I always asked for the Lord's protection, Jesus and Mary, and I was protected. In prison, I do the same. I don't go anywhere, anywhere in the prison without a Bible and the Rosary. They are my weapons. Father Chuck, thank you so much for being here on Catholic Baltimore. Our guest has been Father Charles Chuck Conterna, a prison chaplain for the Maryland State Penitentiary. When we return, we will speak with Deacon Siegfried Pressberry, Director of Prison Ministry for the Archdiocese of Baltimore. I'm George Matasek, and you're listening to Catholic Baltimore. Do you want to know more about what's going on in the church and the world than you can get from your daily newspaper or local TV? Read the only publication in the Archdiocese of Baltimore that covers the church full-time, The Catholic Review. Pick up the print magazine monthly at your parish or have the Catholic Review delivered to your home every month. You can get fresh news every day online at catholicreview.org. Subscribe to the Catholic Review e-newsletter for twice-a-week updates. Just text CR Media to 84576. Find our app on Apple and Android and follow the Catholic Review on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Pinterest. Wherever your faith takes you, Catholic Review Media is ready to inspire, teach, inform, and engage. 
Read it today, in print and online at catholicreview.org. That's catholicreview.org. For 143 years, New Cathedral Cemetery has served the needs of the Catholic community of Baltimore and Central Maryland. New Cathedral is the only cemetery owned by the Archdiocese of Baltimore and is the final resting place for many religious orders and famous citizens. 125 acres of rolling hills, trees, and beautiful monuments, the cemetery is an oasis of peace and tranquility and is located off Edmondson Avenue just outside of Catonsville. New Cathedral is dedicated to the task of tending to the mortal remains of our dearly departed and has many more years of available space. If you are in need of a burial site, vault, monument, or marker, or just a respectful location to place your cremated loved ones, our counselors will help you through this process and make sure the wishes of you and your loved ones are honored. Visit us online at newcathedralcemetery.org, like us on Facebook at New Cathedral Cemetery Bonnie Bray, or call 410-566-7770. You are listening to Catholic Baltimore on Talk Radio 680 WCBM. Welcome back to Catholic Baltimore. I'm George Matasek. Deacon Siegfried Pressbury, a deacon of the Archdiocese of Baltimore, majored in rehabilitation services at Morgan State University from 1974 to 1977. He has worked in the correctional system, having served at various Maryland Department of Public Safety and Correctional Services facilities from 1977 to 2001. Today, he serves as Director of Prison Ministry for the Archdiocese of Baltimore. Deacon Pressbury, thanks for being here on Catholic Baltimore. Uh, Thanks for having me. I know there must be a lot of people in prison who feel forgotten or thrown away by society. There's other people who may feel separated from God because of the crimes that they've committed. What are some of the common spiritual struggles people face in prison? Well, the obstacles that most of them face is about receiving God's gifts. And they include a feeling of unworthiness, the fear of making a fool of themselves or himself, the fear of having their personalities taken over, (laughs) and doubt, especially the temptation by Satan to not to believe or to, to reject God, and the fear about what, what their fellow inmates uh, think about them. What do prison ministers do when they visit prisoners? We, we go, they go in and they, for one thing, they go in with a calm attitude and they listen. And they just try to meet the inmates where they are in their spiritual journey. And they just offer them guidance, uh, you know, just, just that, that feeling of calm that it's okay that for them to talk and open up about things that, that they probably never have experienced because most of them, when they get in prison, are basically unchurched. Does every prison in the Archdiocese of Baltimore have a Catholic presence in prison ministry? Yes. Uh, that was one of the goals of, of the Office of Prison Ministry, is to make sure that uh, every correctional institution in the Archdiocese boundaries of Baltimore has some sort of form of a uh, prison ministry. And how many or how many prison ministers are there in the Archdiocese? Right now we have three that we put in the state institutions, and I have various volunteers that do our uh, county and local detention centers. How can parishioners get involved? What kind of training is involved to become a prison minister? Well, years ago we used to offer training, but with the things that's been happening in our institutions, now most state and local and uh detention centers they do their own training but what I do if people call me on the phone and they might have questions about 
or fears or apprehensions. I try to just give them some do's and don'ts about being a prison volunteer. What makes a good prison minister? What are some of the qualities you need to have? I'm going to say a good listener. You, you have to listen and just make yourself available and be truthful. Um, it's one thing that, that, that most men and women that are incarcerated, that they, they fill you out as soon as they meet you. And they sort of know where your heart is. So if you're just truthful and honest and, and being a good listener goes a long way with being a successful uh, prison volunteer. How important is it for a person to be non-judgmental? Now that's a, that's a good question, uh, George. Um, it's hard being non-judgmental. But the thing that we have to realize is that, yes, you know, they've been convicted of crimes, but still they are our brothers and sisters. And uh, I always use the metaphor, you know, you go in the supermarket, if you taste a grape or bite on, on a piece of sandwich or something, you know, you stole something. Um, so they just made mistakes, and they, they are human beings, and they, they deserve to be treated like we do everybody else. They are our brothers and sisters in Christ. What impact do you think the Catholic Church is having in the prisons? What practical effect does it have to have this spiritual mentoring going on? Well, I, I see it as, as over the years, by me being a former correction officer, um, I see the progression in, in, in the presence of, of the Catholic faith. I look at it as that it's, it's there, they can feel it, they know it's concrete, they know it's not going nowhere. It's, it's something that they can latch on, not only while they are incarcerated, but even when they come home. And the thing about our Catholic faith is universal. So the readings don't change. The, you know, they, they can just get on the program and just stick with just, you know, I'm going to say, you know, practicing their faith, you know, and coming stronger in their faith. What kinds of things do the prison ministers do with the prisoners? Is it prayer, opportunities for confession, any kind of catechetical training that might go well, on? For the most part, they, they, they develop and, uh, like I said, they do develop, uh, you know, worship services like masses. They provide instructional and personal growth opportunities for them. And they definitely address their uh, spiritual and emotional needs through counseling. They perform the sacraments and rites just, just as we do regularly, you know, if you're not incarcerated. And one of the things that they used to do was recruit volunteers, but like I said, they, they took that away from them. So, but basically they're there to offer them the same opportunities that we, we offer at, 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 at somebody just coming in through the RCIE program. Many of our listeners may be familiar with the case of Kirk Bloodsworth, who was on death row for being convicted of the rape and murder of a nine-year-old Rosedale girl, and later genetic testing showed that he was innocent. But I had a chance to interview him one time, and I remember that it was through his contact with prison ministry that he became a Catholic. He was actually received into the Catholic Church because of the visits of both parishioners and also a deacon, Deacon Al Rose, who uh, reached out to him and ministered to him. How common is that, that people come into the church as, as a result of prison ministry? Just give you a little background. This office was formed in like 2011, and for the first couple of months was like silent. Now and I get letters, at least two, three letters a week from inmates reaching, you know, wanting me to reach out for them to provide religious materials. Uh, how, how can they get baptized? Um, so it's, <laughs> I can say, it's, it's, it's flourishing. And, and the thing about it is that they know that this office of prison ministry is here to help them. You know, In the case with Kurt Bloodsworth, I mean, it's, it's a thousand and one stories can be told about people who experience what Kurt Bloodsworth has experienced. And I, I say a good message is 
look around in your parishes and see the new faces. Some of them might be returning citizens from prison who found God while they were incarcerated. What are some of the biggest misconceptions about prisoners? Guilt, guilt, guilt. Mm -hmm. They're not worth nothing. Uh, they need to be incarcerated. They did, okay, I, I'm, I'm, I understand that. But you got to go back to the gospel, the roots of the gospel. And God say, I created man and women. They're our brothers and sisters, and, and we have to be treated like that. Treated as human beings. They still deserve to be treated like human beings. Thank you, Pressbury. Thank you so much for being here on Catholic Baltimore. And thank you for having me. Our guest has been Deacon Siegfried Pressbury, Director of Prison Ministry for the Archdiocese of Baltimore. You've been listening to Catholic Baltimore. I'm George Matisek. We'll see you again next week. Child abuse is not only a crime, it's also a sin. The Archdiocese of Baltimore has long made the protection of children a leading priority in its parishes, schools, and other ministries. The Archdiocese seeks to keep kids safe through rigorous training and background checks and by implementing a zero-tolerance policy for anyone credibly accused of abusing a child. For more information about the Archdiocese's efforts to keep our children safe, please visit www.archbalt.org. Life can be hard, and at times we feel overwhelmed and alone. When faced with problems, know that there is a group of Catholics who are part of the prayer ministry of the Archdiocese of Baltimore, waiting to lift you and your needs to God in prayer. This ministry is comprised of men and women, young and old, religious and lay, from every ethnic and cultural background. They pray as individuals and in groups, in homes and meeting spaces throughout Baltimore. Like you, they are people who have suffered the same hurts, fears, pains, sickness, loss, and everyday burdens. Learn more about this ministry by visiting our website at www.archbalt.org. If you are in need of prayer, send your prayer request to prayers at archbalt.org or by phone to 410-547-5517. Would you like to volunteer to be a part of the ministry? Prayer ministers are always needed. Please call or email our coordinator who would be happy to speak with you. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Catholic Baltimore. As we prepare for the week ahead, let us do so in prayer together as one community of faith. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let us also ask the blessing and intercession of our Blessed Mother as we pray. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. May God bless us and keep us always in his love.